Hello and welcome to the Recovering from Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering from Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California. I have a group um, private practice called Inland Empire Couples Counseling, and I specialize in helping mixed faith and religious secular couples have connected, intimate, satisfying relationships. Um, I will say sometimes that one of my therapy superpowers is helping people connect across the religious secular divide. And um, I have a, I'm in the process of developing an online course for uh, mixed faith couples. And I'm offering a little teaser, a free mini course for that. And I know the link is in uh, the resources that we'll put at the end of the, at the in the chat at the end of this. What I know <laughs> <say that. laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, so obviously the topic of today is how to deal with um, religious in-laws and extended family. So how do we begin with this with this very broad topic? I feel like it's, you know, you could take so many different angles. So what is the first yeah. thing that you would address? So I was looking, as I was getting ready to do this presentation, I was kind of looking for themes of like, what are the things where people say that they have the most trouble with dealing with their religious in-laws or extended family. And the things that I came up with as, uh, you know, being kind of general categories were judgment, disconnection, and awkward conversations. So those are the three big things that we will talk about today. Mm -hmm. um, do you want me to just jump right in with talking about judgment? Definitely, yes. Go okay. for it. Okay, so... Um, Maybe this is just my style. If you've heard me talk on one of these before, like us, uh, I'm not going to let us off the hook, us, you know, secular folks. So that's right where we are going to start with um, how easy it can be to look at those judgy religious people. And the problem is that they think things about us. And if they would just stop being so judgy, everything would be fine. <laughs> um but I think that that is, uh, it's human nature, but it's also not the whole story to just be pointing the finger at the other person and say that that that's really the problem here. Um, so to start out with, I'm holding, up, holding the mirror up to ourselves um, because it's really not how healthy relationships work that we just always look at what the other person needs to do to change. Um, and so when we're looking at having great relationships with our religious extended family members, we also have to be willing to look at ourselves. Um, I will call it keeping your side of the street clean. Like we're, we're, we're on different sides and we're gonna meet in the middle. And part of doing that is that you have to keep your side of the street clean. So are you uh, condescending, uh, unkind, are unwilling to compromise? Are you actually living according to your values in the way that you interact with these people? Um, if you look back at 
the hardest conversations or the most tense times with those people, are you proud of how you acted? Would you set yourself up as an example of like, this is how these things should be handled? Or is there, you know, work there that you could do too in how you talk with them? Um, and then, you know, do you treat them how you want them to treat you? Mm-hmm. So a bit of self-criticism in that aspect of not saying, oh, yeah, everyone else is in fault and I am amazing and perfect and right because obviously, uh, yeah, if you're religious, you're crazy or something like that. So, yeah, that's a great point, Rebecca. I think a lot of people, myself included, um, do have that that reaction. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. And, you know, these aren't like always really comfortable questions to ask yourself. And at the same time, it's important. It's important that we act, um, that we act without judgment um, to have successful relationships with our religious family members. Um, And I, I, my word choice is intentional there in acting without judgment instead of being without judgment, because everybody has judgments and they're like, that's okay. You might really believe that their worldview is harmful. It's ridiculous. It's illogical. And I'm not here to talk you out of that or tell you that you shouldn't think those things. And when you sit down with that person or when you're at, you know, the holiday dinner or the family reunion or whatever it is, do you act that out with them? Do you treat them with disrespect because of those beliefs or because of your your differences and I think that it's important to act without judgment Mm -hmm. um, or act without being condescending in the way that we treat our family members because that's really what we're talking about here is it's not just any old religious person these are people who are part of your extended family and who you have some connection with and who you know presumably care about you Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And how would you address you know, when someone else is judgmental towards towards us? Because of course, um I, I'm sure that happens to so many to so many people. So uh Absolutely. once we have you know, make sure that we have um uh, cleared ourselves of any judgment as much as possible anyway, uh how would you deal with someone else being judgmental to us, especially someone that you need to see fairly often as it sometimes happens with your family or um, in those or even friends really. Right. Right. So yeah, this shows up in, um, sometimes comments direct and sometimes just, uh, you know, more subtle things about you're, you're going to hell, you've been deceived, you're not going to be with us in heaven, you know, whatever the, the judgments are that the family puts upon you. Um, Mm -hmm. and, I want to say before we get too much into like, you know, here's the checklist of the things that you do. I just want to recognize that that's really painful. And if you're on the receiving end of that and that hurts, you're human. Um, Again, we're talking about family and these are the groups that we want to belong to. It's normal for us to want to have acceptance and approval from our family members. And so when we're on the receiving end of some judgment from them, of course, that's going to be painful. Um, Sometimes it's hurtful to us because there might be a part of us who still wonders if that's true. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, depending on what your own experience has been exiting religion or, um, you know, the religious group that you came from, you might, you know, a part of you knows that it's not true and this is the right choice for you. And yet when you're, when it's your grandparent or your aunt and uncle or whoever, who's telling you these things, some of that old stuff might get activated and you go, well, am I, am I deceived? Is this wrong? Um, And also it can be a frustrating place to be if you previously had thought those things about people who left your faith and, and um, you know, people can be stuck kind of between a rock and a hard place or in a little bit of a double bind where you go, um, I know that I'm not going to hell or I, I know that I'm not being deceived by the devil. Um, and yet I know exactly why they think those things of me because I used to be that person and say those things to someone else. And I also know because I used to be in that position that there's probably nothing I can do that will convince them otherwise. And so now as the formerly religious person, you're just kind of stuck having all this swirl of feelings and the recipient of all of this judgment. And then like, what do you do about it? Mm -hmm. So that's why I said, before we even get to the, what do you do? I wanted to take a, take a moment to recognize that like those feelings are all normal reactions to being in this really difficult situation. Um, so here's my what to do's. Uh, the first would be just let yourself acknowledge the feeling, feel whatever is there. If it's, you know, frustration, um, anger, grief, pain, rejection, whatever, it will be uncomfortable. Yeah. It's going to be uncomfortable and avoiding it or denying the reality of what's going on. Doesn't make it go away. If you are denying it, it will just go underground and come out in some other way or continue to kind of torment you from the inside. Um, So you take a little bit of time to sit with the discomfort of whatever those feelings are. And then as far as their judgments of you go, sometimes you might just let it go. You might decide there's nothing I'm going to do to change this person. Um, And so I'm just going to, for whatever reason, you might let it slide or you might choose to communicate the impact on or to the other people. Hey, when you say these things, this is how that makes me feel. Can you please not say that to me anymore? Um, And I went back and looked at the talk I did in July on boundaries has some tips for how to recognize those things and how to, you know, put it into into words if anyone wants to go back and watch that one. Um, And on, you know, if you do decide to let it go, you, I think really being able to let it go requires that you recognize that there are some things that you just can't change. Um, You might not be able to change the way that these people think about you or maybe the, their opinion of your actions Um, and that's sad and it's also outside of your control and you may cause yourself quite a bit of grief and anxiety trying to get them to change. Mm -hmm. And so part of being in relationship with these people might be, might mean that you have to live with the discomfort of not being able to change your 
judgments or their judgments about you. And I'll say that a mindfulness practice can help a lot there in, in learning how to separate yourself from other people um, and also how to allow yourself to experience what's happening to just like experience those feelings, let them kind of move through you and then also know that you're okay. And going back a bit to uh, making sure that we are not judgmental towards others. Do you have any tips Mm -hmm. for that? Because I know I find it very difficult (laughs) if someone, um, (laughs) you know, holds a very different opinion from me, especially on a moral um, basis as religion often does. It's just so difficult to, to not feel like you're just wrong. And why do you think that, you know, I feel like it's very difficult to not be judgmental. So do you have any sort of quick tips uh, to avoid those um, those thoughts? I think that it is important to make a distinction between your belief and your action. So you can believe that they are absolutely wrong about, you know, what they believe and that your course of action for your life is correct. And you that doesn't mean that you that it's okay to treat them with disrespect, right? So there's like a making a distinction between what we think and how we act. We can think differently and still expect that we treat the other person with, you know, mutual respect and and dignity and that type of thing. Um, I find it can be really useful to uh, reverse the roles. If you're not sure if you're being super judgmental, um, what would it be like if that person said to you what you're saying to them just like flip it around and if you would hate to be on the receiving end of that that means you're probably acting in a a judgmental or or a disrespectful or unrealistic way to the other person Mm -hmm. oh also making a distinction between the person and the belief system Mm -hmm. so you can disagree with their belief system and still be respectful to the human being Mm-hmm. who is sitting right in front of you. And that can sometimes help to separate that out. Like, yeah, I disagree with what they believe and I can still be um, kind to them as a fellow human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, for me personally, it's just that I, I have a, um, what is called the resting bitch face. So with someone like when I disagree with someone, and they say something that I find ridiculous. I find it really, really difficult to not like reflect that in my face, even if I'm trying to be kind, I just, I struggle with that. But yeah, I think um, definitely understanding that it's not there as a person, it's just their ideas. It's definitely a good tip because then I can hopefully like separate those two. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. And I think even if somebody notices your, the change in the emotion on your face, and they go, whoa, what, what, you know, what's that about? Or they, they call you on it or something you can say um, like that. That's just really interesting idea. Or I completely disagree with what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you're careful to say that you're disagreeing with the idea. You're disagreeing with what the person just said, which is very different from being like, you're an idiot. How could you believe something like that? Because now you've made it personal and about the person and their character and not about the idea that you're discussing or the thing that they said that you're, what? Um, You even can say something like, 
if, you know, they notice the expression on your face, you can say something like, wow, I totally do not agree with that at all. But like, carry on. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. (laughs) (laughs) You're still interested in the person. You still care about them. And you don't, sometimes that can actually be freeing where you don't have to pretend to agree or you don't have to pretend to like what they're saying. You can still like them as a person and think that their ideas are a little bit wacky. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes perfect yeah. sense. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Of um, course. Yeah. Uh, anything else to mention on the judgment side? Um, regard- yes. Yeah. yeah. So as we're moving into talking about disconnection, I think it's worth noting that judgments or when we're the recipient of the you know, judgy behavior from other people is that that often masks grief, uh, loss, the fear of loss. It can often mask a sense of powerlessness where maybe your family member from the, again, from their perspective, they love you so much and they're fearful of losing you or that you may already be lost and they might feel powerless to change that. And what's coming across to you might be this, you know, judgy, shaming kind of action and behavior. And underneath that, they love you and they're terrified and they don't know what else to do. Um, Or maybe they don't quite have the right skills to just be able to tell you, I love you so much and I'm scared. And that comes across as, what are you doing? You're going to hell, you need to come back. And I wanted to make this uh, distinction that people don't often talk about disconnection, but as I was coming up with these themes, I thought about, okay, so judgment is a thing that like happens internally. And then we, um, it like seeps out of us and how we talk to other people, right? We're going to get to awkward conversations. And that's, again, a very overt Oh, wow. It's uncomfortable. It's this thing that's happening between us. And the disconnection is like at the heart of a lot of the things that are really difficult when we're um, navigating these relationships with our religious uh, family members. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to say that these things are painful again, because it's like the natural human experience to want to be accepted to our groups. This is how humans evolved, that we're a social species. And this is how we have survived and thrived is in connection with other humans. Mm -hmm. And so when we experience something that separates us from our group, from our family or social group, um, it produces anxiety And that anxiety often comes with a pull to reconnect with the other people. That's what your family's trying to do for you. Um, And it's also why it's so painful um, and so difficult for so many people to step away from their religious groups or from their, you know, family members who are, who are religious. And, you know, you might be wondering like, well, if I don't fit in here anymore, then where do I fit? Um, And so I want to take a minute just to normalize that for people. If you're feeling some of that sadness, the disconnection, it means that you're a normal human. 
and not that you've sinned or <laughs> that you, know, you feel badly and therefore you need to return to the group. Um, it can be really confusing for people sometimes too when you know that this is the best choice for you and you step away from the religion and then you miss it or you feel you you feel bad almost guilty that you still want to be close to those people because they're ridiculous or because of you know you don't agree with what they believe in and yet at the same time like those are your people they are the especially if we're talking about grandparents you know, aunts and uncles, your own parents, like these are the people who raised you and watched out for you and taught you what it was to be a good human and all those kind of things. And so when you experience a disconnection from them, you're just being a normal human that that causes you some sadness or brings you some anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wanted to uh, make sure that people know that this is a thing that can go both ways. That sometimes we don't often see when we're the person who's leaving that your in-laws or your, you know, aunts and uncles or your grandparents or whoever, um, they might be wondering exactly the same things. Like, are you rejecting me now? They love you and they see that you're different and they might wonder, am I not going to be welcome with you? Am I not going to be safe with you? Mm -hmm. Um, Just like you want to, you want them to be accepting and loving and feel like you belong there with them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's, uh, I guess, a sort of reaction before they even see you, like, uh, rejecting them of a sort of um, defense mechanism, I guess. If if you think mm-hmm. the other person is going to reject you, you may want to reject them first, um, or you may want to just let them know that they're still welcomed, even if the way they're communicating that is not perhaps the best. So things like yeah. saying, you know, you're going to hell, you can still come back. Well, that's not necessarily great, a uh, great thing to say, um, <laughs> but they are trying, right? Is that, is that what mm-hmm. you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's important. Again, it's so easy for us to just look at our own experience. I am having this experience where I've left my religion and I am so angry at my family for how they have not been welcoming and how they've not been accepting of me. And I'm just like all focused in my own experience. And sometimes we forget that they are people too, and that they might also be wondering, be feeling rejected by us or abandoned by us, or be having that same fear of like, are you not going to love me now, now that you're an atheist? Mm -hmm. Am I not going to be welcome in your home? And is, you know, like, um, sometimes even just remembering that can soften the edges of that fear and anxiety a little bit and make it a little easier to have some of these conversations with them to approach them um, when we remember that they love us yeah. and they might yeah. be worried also. Yeah. Yeah, there was a really good question in the in the chat that I added for the Q&A, but I feel like it makes more sense to ask now. Yeah, go ahead. So um, the person is asking, what would you recommend when a, religion, when a religion teaches that anyone who lives is an apostate and you have to inform family members that you have left and you have no intention of returning? Because it does mean that they won't have anything to do with you once they know that you're gone. This one is so hard um, and can be really, really painful uh, because depending on the religious group, 
you know, there's some groups where the a person might leave the faith and the family members are, you know, disappointed in you. They wish that you could come back, but they'll still hang out with you. Um, and they'll still like be family. And there are other religious groups where that distinction between, you know, insider and an outsider is so extreme that if you leave, you're then cut out entirely from the family. And um, I think it makes the, the pressure so much more intense on people who leave. And the best, I mean, without being able to talk to the person who answered the question, <laughs> I could say for you, um, take really good care of yourself um, because you've just lost a whole lot, um, you know, all of your support system and all of your people. And so make sure that you're getting, like finding ways to rebuild that um, and know that it'll be some pretty intense grief for losing those people. Um, and, you know, if you decide that you're going to, you know, take that step to inform your family members and say, Hey, this is what I've decided, whatever. Um, the best that I can suggest is that if you get that one chance <laughs> or, you know, the, the couple conversations before they stop speaking with you, um, to think about how much you love them what you would want them to know, right? Like if this is the last time that I get to talk to these people, what is it that I want them to know about them and how I feel about them? Um, even knowing that they might still cut you out. So that might look something like, hey, this is the decision that I've made for myself for you know whatever reasons. And I want you to know that I love you so much. I understand you might not want to have me around, but you would always be welcome in my life. I love you. I care about you, whatever, like you, this is, this is you keeping your side of the street clean. Um, so I'm going to meet you halfway. I'm going to let you know that you are welcome anytime in my life. What, you know, whatever the things are that you want to say and that feel authentic to you. And then, um, you know, you have to let go of the outcome and know that they're going to do whatever they're going to do. Um, and it's like, you know, maybe planting a seed that if things loosen up for them at some time in the future, you would, you would still love them and want to see them. Um, and even if that never happens, it's like, can you go to sleep at night knowing that you did the best that you could or mm -hmm. that the way that you uh, made that announcement to them and said, you know, goodbye to them or whatever is something that you feel good about how you, how you acted that and um, I don't know, these are hard things for me to advise on because I am saying these words that I know from my therapist self, like that's the best way to handle it. Um, and there is something about it that just feels so insufficient because I recognize that we're talking about these really weighty, heavy things that have to do with um, you know, people leaving their community and being shunned. And there's like no amount of the right words that's going to make that feel great. Like it's going to feel shitty. Even if you do it exactly perfectly, it's going to be awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's How's never that for a great answer. It, it is. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. And especially for such a difficult situation, I think mm -hmm. uh, it, yeah, it's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and what about when you just, kind of grow apart of other people because I guess if you're so um, involved in a specific religious community, 
and you stop being religious. You may also stop doing the same activities as them. You may develop other hobbies that have nothing to do with them. So, you know, what do you do then? Because it's, I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying you know you necessarily um, hate them or you want them out of your life completely because you have a fundamental moral difference, but just because you just don't feel like you're the same person anymore. This is a hard one. And it sometimes um, sneaks up on people later because there's like all of the drama of the coming out and the big changes that you're making in your life and your family adjusting to it and everything. And even when you get to a place that's kind of stable and things are going well, people can be surprised years later when you get together with your family and it, like if the pain feels fresh again, because you realize we've just grown apart. We're such a different people now that maybe if I met you right now, we wouldn't choose to hang out with each other. And not because we're awful people, we just don't have anything in common anymore. Um, there can also be on this theme of disconnection from people that we love, that there are so many hard feelings, grief, loss, that the fear of the judgment, betrayal, rejection, um, sometimes those things are spoken out loud and sometimes they're unspoken and the fear of bringing them out into the open is what fuels the disconnection. So the thinking goes something like this, where, um, you know, maybe I, you were a person who was really important to me. I expect that you're going to disapprove of the changes that I've made in my life. And um, I don't really want to find that out for sure. And so I'm just going to stay quiet and like, you know, go under the radar or not bring certain topics up or, or whatever, because I don't really want to find out. I don't want to make that a reality to face your disappointment. Um, and then it just becomes this thing where maybe you don't really know why you feel distant from these people, but there's just this disconnection from them. And I'm not here to say that you have to confront all of those things um, because you might not, it might not be good for you. You might not be in a place where that's really necessary. And I think that sometimes it's important to name it and just know what's going on. So if you're aware, like, okay, I'm feeling distant from these people. And part of that is because there's a lot that we don't talk about. And I'm not particularly interested in talking about those things. And like, maybe that's okay. I'm just going to accept that there is a level of distance here and appreciate how much we, you know, do still show up for each other or that they haven't completely shunned me or something like that. Mm -hmm. I yeah. I guess those feelings of disconnection can also come from uh, the grief that you experience when you leave a community, that sense of like losing uh, your group of friends or your family or that support system that you had um, before. So that definitely must make it a lot more difficult than just like a random, well, I used to like uh, football and I don't like football. Like it's, it's not the same when your whole life revolves around religion and all your friends and family, you know them because of religion. I mean, not family, obviously, but your friends are because of religion and all your family activities revolve around that also. Um, I can only imagine that doesn't make it necessarily that much easier. Right, right. Um, and there can be a lot of disconnection too, because we're just not very practiced. We're not good at talking about differences and talking about differences respectfully. Um, and I'll be totally honest with you. I am not, 
I know for sure that Americans aren't good at that. And I think that religious Americans especially are not good at that. Um, and so we don't do it. We don't talk talk to people across lines, whatever those lines are. Um, or when we try, we make a mess of it. And so then we go, oh, that wasn't fun. I don't want to do that again. Um, and we also sometimes have this expectation that like, I really want to be heard and understood. And so I want to share what's happening in my life and these changes. And I want you to listen to me, but I can't tolerate the same. I don't want to hear about how you're the thing that you believe in or, um, you know, what's happening in your life because ah, everything's religious and I can't, I can't deal with that. <laughs> um, and so then we have like increasing numbers of things that are off limits for our family members because we haven't, we don't know how to talk about them. And sometimes it's just, we, we haven't practiced the skills or developed the stamina. We haven't had enough of these awkward conversations that we're going to talk about in a minute um, to give us that confidence that we can, we can talk about hard things. We can disagree about things and still love each other and still sometimes even feel closer despite the difference because we feel that like respect and love and admiration as a fellow human rather than, you know, being too connected with the belief system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Sometimes, that's a, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, that's a real pity because I feel like conversations like that do, do often lead to like deeper relationships with, with people that you may not necessarily share the same, uh, like certain values with or certain beliefs in, but um, I didn't know that in American culture, that was like a, a thing of uh, not not connecting in that sense. I guess it's, I know it's difficult, but I guess I didn't know that uh, we're, the American We're culture. real bad at it. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, not that in Spain we're much better, but <laughs> okay where I'm now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and like I said, I think it's worse in religious communities because we just surround ourselves with people who think the same way that we do. And so then when you find yourself on the outside, nobody has the skills to know how to talk. We don't, we, we just don't know how to do these things. Um, sometimes this sense of disconnection can be fueled by mistreatment, which is a real thing. This isn't all just like, Oh, we need to learn how to talk. Like that sounds all nice, but um it's not all that. Like sometimes family will treat you poorly when you leave religion. Um, you know, I've heard of people being taken out of wills, um, you know, like they were previously a, a godparent or, you know, the person who would, that's what a godparent is, right? I don't know. That's not part of my religious background, but like the person who's going to step in if something happens to the parents, right? Like you'll, you'll be the one who takes care of our kids. And then that person leaves religion and all of a sudden you can't be trusted with children anymore. Or, you know, maybe grandparents favor the one set of grandchildren and are much kinder to them and spend more time with them and give them more elaborate gifts or whatever, because they're the good ones who are in the faith and the the kids who have left get treated differently. And that can be like, those things are real and really happen and can be quite painful. Um, And I think it's worth noting here that when we're talking about relationships, there are, there's, there's two sides. And so there's some things that you might be able to do to feel more connected to your family members, to fix your side of the relationship. And it's not all on you. 
So, you know, some of the disconnection that you might be feeling from your extended family members or the, you know, disapproval that's coming from the in-laws or whatever, like some of that might happen because they've treated you poorly. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you have to force yourself to feel real close to them or spend a whole lot of time with them when doing that hurts you because it isn't a hundred percent on you. Sometimes it happens because they're not treating you well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess for those who have children, it must be extra difficult if they are treating your kids differently, because it's at that point, it's no longer just about you. It's also like your very close family. So um, yeah, I feel like I didn't think about that example, but it does sound really like a really difficult situation to deal with if you have, right. if you have kids. It's very complicated to be the parent in that situation because there's a part of you that will feel that will like get all activated with your protective side. Like you don't get to treat my kids poorly. (laughs) They should be treated just as well as all the other kids at the same time as you're feeling wounded as the child. Why is my parent not loving me as much as they love my siblings? Um, And it's a really complicated, hard, hard place to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So there's one more like source of disconnection and then I'll talk through some tips on what to do about the disconnection. Um, The other thing is that sometimes when we leave religion, we uncover unhealthy relationship dynamics. Um, Things like abuse, control, manipulation, things that might have been at play all along, but that were masked by religion. So maybe we didn't see them or um, we were able to avoid kind of coming up against the worst of those family dynamics, as long as you're playing by the rules, those kind of unspoken family rules. And now that you're different, Or now that you've broken the family rules, you might be the recipient of all of that unhealthy stuff. And this can be a really difficult thing for people as well. And this is definitely one of those that like, hey, that's not your fault. (laughs) Um, and, And you don't have to fix all of that, you know, disconnection like these abuse and manipulation and power dynamics might have been there all along. And the fact that you are now seeing it and able to name it means the family's mad at you, but that doesn't mean that you caused it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what families will do is you leave religion or you just leave the family. You don't even have to leave, leave religion, but whoever the person is who says, Hey, you know what? That's, that's kind of fucked up. You sh- we shouldn't treat each other this way. This is bad. They will all turn on you and go, no, the problem is you. You need to stop saying those things and look at how terrible you are as a way to deflect from them taking responsibility for their own stuff. Um, so just know if that's happening to you, it is not your fault, even if the whole family system is pointing their finger at you and saying that it's your fault. That's just mm-hmm. typical um, unhealthy family dynamics playing out. It's pretty yeah. expected. Yeah. That's such a recurrent topic. Um, every time we have an RFRX session, there is at least one person, usually more than one person, that brings up some sort of unhealthy family dynamics. So that's I think that's definitely like applicable to so many different people, which is really a shame just to discover just how many um like unhealthy dynamics exist within these these um communities and these families. Um yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And often those things go unchecked because religion enables them mm-hmm. um, and lets them continue. And sometimes the people who are in power feel justified in doing whatever it is that they're doing because their religious beliefs tell them that this is the way that it should be, or they maybe don't have proper checks and balances. Um, Sometimes in, you know, depending on how insular the religious groups are, they might not be going to public schools. They might not have, you know, be utilizing social support and resources out there to help families because they want to keep it all internal, um, which just sort of further can can perpetuate some of these, you know, really um, abusive and exploitative things that happen in families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask what tips do you, do you suggest to deal with all of these all of these different uh, ways of disconnection with uh, communities and your friends and family? Yeah. So first off, because we were just talking about the real messed up stuff, go to therapy <laughs> for, the, for those things that are the unhealthy family dynamics. Like you might not be able to meditate your way out of that um, and getting some, some good professional support can be really helpful, especially if that's what's going on is the, the abusive family situations. Um, and then just, you know, for yourself, for the more, I don't want to say more normal, the less extreme <laughs> forms of disconnection. Um, the first thing again would be acknowledge the feelings. Just let yourself get clear about what's going on. And um, I say that not just because like, I'm a therapist and we always talk about feelings, (laughs) but really it's like, this is how you're going to get clear on what exactly the problem is. And when you know what the problem is, it can be, you can have some more clarity and direction on what to do about it. So if the situation, like the disconnection I'm feeling is that I'm grieving, I'm just really experiencing the loss of my community, then I might handle that differently than if the feeling that I feel is, um, I don't know what, maybe I'm lost. Maybe my family's actually been really wonderfully supportive and I am confused. I am feeling unmoored because I've changed my belief system and I don't really know how to be in my life anymore. Wow, those are two completely different experiences. And if you're clear about what you're feeling, then you know you'll have a much better idea about what you need to help that. In addition to the thing I said before that the difficult feelings don't go away if you ignore them. (laughs) So that's always the first thing, acknowledge the feelings, get clear on what is it that's happening for me right now. And then you can have some clarity on what to do next. As far as dealing with your family members in these relationships, turn up the volume on love. And what that means is you, if you want to be close to these people, if you want to continue in relationship with them, then let them know that because of all that stuff that might be unspoken, you're feeling worried, they're feeling worried, whatever, like let them know, Hey, I miss you. Or I made this change in my life and I still love you. I appreciate you supporting me, or I'm, I'm glad we're still family, whatever it is that you want to say, like, make sure that that stuff is overt, that you don't just assume that they know or take it for granted that 
they will know that you still want to be a part of the family because they might be feeling rejected and worried and you can do a lot um, by just communicating some of that. Mm-hmm. And going back to the, the therapy that uh, you mentioned in the in the more oh, yeah. intense cases, um, I just wanted to remind everyone that in RFR we have the secular therapy project. So if you want to make sure that your therapist is um, properly licensed and uh, uses only uh, research-based methods, we do have a, a resource for you. So if you're interested, there's a link that I'll find in a second and just post it in case anyone wants to wants to look at that because it's a really great way of not wasting your time going around trying to look for therapists that maybe are going to try to make you go back to religion, for example, which isn't ideal in this kind of situations. Right. Yeah, just to or they might they might diagnose the problem as being, well, you betrayed your family by leaving their religion. So you're the one who needs to change and come back to the religion. Right? Like, exactly. Yeah. That's not going to be the kind of help that's going to work for you. Uh, okay. So take care of your side of the street. That's another thing that you can do to help with the disconnection bit is you just make sure that you're proud of how you're acting, that you are living according to your own values that, you know, you're kind and respectful in how you talk to people. Um, Another thing would be to be open um, to getting some of your needs met in other places. So you're not a hundred percent belonging in your family anymore. And that doesn't mean that your need for belonging has gone away. So you might need to search out some other groups and places where you get to feel some of that belonging. And you might find some of that in, you know, the groups that RFR is associated with that we were mentioned earlier. Um, And I found that it can be really helpful for people to think about meeting their needs in a variety of ways and not expecting one group or organization to do it all. Sometimes that is, uh, we're just taking our religious thinking with us, <laughs> where the, the faith might have taught us that we have the answer to everything, your family, your community, your meaning, your everything, we'll take care of all of it. And we leave religion and we expect that we're going to find some other group that is going to meet all of the needs, just like the religion met all of the needs or told us that it met all of the needs, right? Um, and I want to give you permission to like break free of that thinking a little bit. And so you might get some of your need for belonging met in your extended family. You show up, you look like them, you guys have the same um, background, you have memories together, there's jokes, like, and some of that can be great. You don't have to lose that because you've also left religion. And you also need, you might need to feel the sense of belonging ideologically to a community, and that's not going to be your family anymore. And so you find that niche and and, and a group and you meet that need somewhere else. Um, I also think that it's worth taking time to not look at your family as one great big group and allow the people to be individuals. So you might have received some judgment and, uh, you know, rejection from one person, but maybe there was one cousin who was super cool. Maybe one of your siblings is kind of a dick and another one is awesome. (laughs) You don't have to lose that relationship because the one person was awful to you. So like 
take some time to think about like, are there people who are already in your family group who have been accepting and wonderful and loving and go ahead and just invest a little bit more in those relationships so that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing kind of a thing. Um, And another thing that you can do is communicate your needs. So when we're thinking about these sources of, you know, disconnection, talking about differences, the, the growing apart, the mistreatment, whatever. Um, if there's something that you really need from your family members, you can tell them what that is. It's up to them. That's their side of the street, right? If they're going to meet your need, they're going to listen to you and take that seriously. But that might be something that's just like, hey, I, I know that this is hard. And I'm feeling this, this distance between the two of us and I don't like it. And I would like to talk about what some of those things are. Can we do that? Or I don't like how disconnected I feel when we get together and all we talk about is the church stuff. It would mean a lot to me if you guys could, if we could talk about other things sometimes too. And you communicate the need and then you pay attention. And you'll see that some of your families might might ignore it and dismiss it. And there might be one or two people who heard you and make a conscious effort to switch the uh, topic of conversation, to talk to you, like start up a conversation with you about what's going on with work or something that's not religious. And then you go, ah, that's the person that you hold on to. That's the person that you invest in because you told them what you needed and they heard you and they took it seriously. And then they're standing up for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I really, uh, I really um, like liked how you said that you shouldn't take all your friends and family in one like group that is like, uh, you know, you can pick certain individuals that meet your needs better than others and that are more open to, to you living religion. So yeah, I think that's definitely super useful. Yeah. And you may be surprised to find that there are some people who you thought would be really cool who turn out not to be, and your relationship with them kind of tapers off. And there's other people who really surprise you in how much they, you know, love you and support you and still show up for you, even when you know that it might be hard for them to do that. Like if you're open to the possibility, um, you, yeah. might, you might find opportunities for, again, some deeper connection, like we mentioned before. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and in, in the topic of awkward conversations, because, yes. um, I mean, now with COVID, I think a lot of us have managed to avoid certain family members that we may not necessarily be super willing to meet. But, I mean, 2021, hopefully, we will have to see them. So um, do you have any tips on how to avoid these sort of, you know, really awkward conversations or situations or uh, difficult family members? Well, my... <laughs> My suggestion is you're not going to get to avoid it. <laughs> Basically having religious extended family members or in-laws and enjoying spending time with them, letting that be part, letting them be part of your full rich life means that you're going to have to have some awkward conversations. And so just get used to it or embrace it, or maybe don't even embrace it, but get rid of the expectation that you won't ever have to have these types of awkward conversations. And there's a few ways that these come up. Um, I think it comes up a lot, at least as far as the people that I see in my practice who 
the issues that they come to me with, hey, help me out with this. We don't know how to handle it. It's often around holidays or like rites of passage. What do we do to, are we going to bless the child? Is the child going to have a bar mitzvah or a communion or a baptism or, you know, whatever the thing is within the community? Um, And those can be really places where the disconnection shows up that can be places where all that judgment shows up and it's also the core of the awkward conversations that you're going to have to have with people i know one person who said that she experienced quite a bit of pain when her family stopped inviting her to the rites of passage where the family gathered because there were things that happened at the church and they were religious rites of passage and she says i left the church not the family i still care about you i don't I don't believe in the religion anymore, but I don't want to be left out of the family. Um, And, you know, sometimes, so that's on the one end, right? Is that you don't, you might not want to be left out of things. And on the other side, you might show up to a holiday gathering because it's Christmas or it's Thanksgiving or it's, um, mine is, blanking Ramadan or, you know, whatever the things are where you would normally gather for with your family. And it's almost like the, the religious stuff gets forced upon you or, um, you know, surprise (laughs) you, there's no way to interact with them without there being uh, prayer or some other thing, right? You think that you're getting together to exchange gifts and then grandpa pulls out the Bible and all of a sudden you're in the middle of some, some kind of lesson. And you're like, I don't, I didn't sign up for this. I don't, they ambushed me. right? (laughs) And the thing is like with any of these things, you get to decide how you want to handle it. And then you have to communicate that to the people. Um, The deciding how you want to handle it, again, I'll reference the boundaries talk that we did before. And you just have to let people know, right? Some people might, you might decide, um, whatever, it's the holiday. That's just what we do. I don't love it, but I'm going to let it go and not say anything about it. And I don't care. Or you might decide that it makes you really uncomfortable and you do want to say something about it and you do want to make a request. Can we, you know, shift or do these things a little bit different way or whatever. And that's totally fine, but you have to let the other people know how you're feeling, what your expectations are, offer some alternative or give them some choices for how it maybe could work better for you or, you know, whatever that is. And that's the awkward conversation part um, is, making that request to change or letting them know that the thing that they love so much and the way that the family has always done things isn't going to work for you anymore. Yeah. My first, uh, my first question in the whole awkward thing was how to deal when you are ambushed, as you said, like when, you know, years arrived, you go, you go in with the best of intentions, you know, try to make amends and make sure everyone knows that you still love them, but they just don't let you do that. Um, so yeah, I think there was, there were some um, great tips. I know you mentioned that uh, we should we should go back to the to the boundary stock, and I definitely encourage everyone to do so. It's up on YouTube. Um, but do you want to just like give very like brief, um, superficial like tips, or maybe some sort of advice on how to set those boundaries? Nothing like too deep because we do have sure. the other talk, but just like a an overview of it. Yeah. So. W- 
you know, anything like that is you first need to take the time to get clear on what's going on for you. Why does this thing bother me? Um, what's the change that I'm asking for? Or am I even asking for a change? Am I just asking for understanding? Like you need to get clear with yourself first so that you can go forward and then ask for what you want and need and do that in a way that is uh, kind and respectful to the other person and maximizes the chance that they will want to and be able to give you the thing that you asked. The thing I, I see where a lot of people go wrong, and I see this in the mixed faith families that I work with, and also just general couples therapy, is that most people don't spend enough time getting clear on what they want and need first. And so what comes out to their family member is like a messy first draft. They're just kind of spitballing things out loud. And then the family is like hurt or confused or doesn't know what to do or whatever. Um, And then a big argument can (laughs) ensue. And now you have hurt feelings to clean up with, you know, whatever. Um, But yeah, if you take a little bit of time to think about, you know, something like um, a thing, I don't know, just that example, you show up and we thought that we were doing this thing. And now grandpa's got the religious text out and we're, you know, doing something. Um, It's okay to not handle it right in that moment. If you're having a huge emotional reaction to something, um, your emotions are processed in a different part of your brain than you do logical thinking and perspective taking and, you know, creative thinking and all that kind of stuff. And when your emotions are heightened, you sometimes, if, if it's too, um, a big enough level, you sometimes can't access those parts of your brain that's up here in your neocortex where you do that type of thinking. And so you, it really might be the best thing to just go, whoa, I'm feeling some strong feelings about this. And I'm going to have to think about that later because you might not be able to think clearly and feel deeply at the same time. So it's okay to like, let it go in the moment and then get curious later and go, what was that about? Why did I have that big of a reaction? What, what's really going on there? And then you can decide, this is how I want to handle it. And then you might be able to, to next time you go to the event, know how you're going to handle it. You may just decide if it happens again, now I know what I would do. Or you might decide, I need to sit down with grandpa and say, hey, if this is something that you want to do, could you please give me a heads up? It was upsetting because I was, I was surprised by it. And I, and I know that that's something that's important to you. I'm not asking you to take it away, but could you not do it while I'm there? Or could you please tell me in advance? Or could you say, hey, this is what we're go- what's going to happen so that I can decide if I want to stay for that or not stay for that or whatever. Um, so yeah, I guess that's in a nutshell, get clear about what you want or how you're feeling and then decide what you want. And then you can take a, a step to communicate that to the people that you care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. That's exactly what, what I was asking. So Bertha, thank you. <laughs> um, another awkward situation is gifts. This is where we were going next. Yep. Yeah. Um, where the family might give you or your children religious themed gifts. And again, you get to decide what you want to do. And then you have to let them know. You might take the approach of the uh, the Marie Kondo approach to, I don't know if anybody, if you have read the Magic of Tidying Up book, where you go, wow, I love that this person thought about me, 
thank you. This gift has served its purpose in that they were thoughtful and gave me a gift and I am free to let it go and put it in the trash later, right? Like you can totally do that and it's fine. Um, or you could say these things really are not welcome and they cause, you know, whatever feelings in me, just like we talked about, you get clear about what it is and then, you know, communicate the thing. And then you, uh, and then you get to tell that to your family, please don't give our children these types of gifts. Or this is, you know, one of my, my tips and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think it's great to give people choices. So if you say something, I'm thinking, especially as a parent, um, if the extended family is giving your children gifts that are religious themed, you might say something to them like, Hey, you know, whatever your reasons are, um, we love that you love them and care about them. Um, you're welcome to give whatever gifts you want. And we want you to know that if you, you know, these certain types of things won't be accepted into the house. So we might not even let the kids read the book that you gave us. Um, you're welcome to give it if you need to do that, but, you know, just know that this is how we handle those things that, that like the children won't ever receive it. Or um, if you really want to give a gift that teaches some kind of, you know, moral things like check with us first so that we can say yes or no, or, you know, whatever. So you're not telling them the, these are the things that you're allowed to do, but you're saying, Hey, this is where our boundary is. All of these other things are okay. Here are the choices that we would be happy with. And then the other person, you might not have as strong a reaction of them feeling controlled where you are acknowledging the kindness of the gift. You're acknowledging the intention. You're acknowledging how the, the family member is um, caring for you and investing in the relationship. And like, that's part of turning the volume up, volume up on love, letting them know that you appreciate all of those things. It's just this one little part about that, that isn't okay. Um, and then you can set your boundary and say either, you know, don't do it, or these types are acceptable or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Give a more positive light to, to a difficult and in a way, in their view, I guess, restrictive um, situation where they may not be able to give you certain gifts or certain topics or things like that. So, yeah, I think giving that positive view of it will definitely help and make them feel more welcome. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I think it's important in these situations, too, to presume good intent. Remember that these are people who love you or who are supposed to love you um, and presume that they also want to have a great relationship with you. And if you go into that with that mindset, this person, my, my in-laws, you know, my spouses or my partner's parents, they care about me. They love me. They want to feel close to us. And if I go in to a boundary setting situation with that mindset, I'm probably going to be a lot gentler in how I say what I need to say. And um, it'll be a lot easier for me to remember that stuff of like, Hey, we, these are the things that we appreciate. This is the stuff that's welcome or whatever. And I want you to know that this is not okay. And this is how that impacts me. Right. When you, when you insist on certain things or when you say this certain phrase, it really hurts me. Um, 
And, and when I say it that way, I'm presuming that they care about me and that they don't want to hurt me. And so it's a good thing for the relationship for me to tell them, hey, this particular behavior has an impact on me and it's painful. And so could you please not do that? Or could you not use this particular phrase or something? Because that's painful, which is very different than coming at that person with being like, you judgmental piece of shit. How dare you do that? You keep your religion to yourself. I don't want that garbage around me. (laughs) Where if you're presuming that they are rejecting, if you're presuming that they're judging you, if you're presuming that they tolerate you and don't really want to have you around, you're more likely to come at them in that more aggressive way. And you'll do a lot of good for your relationship if you can go, again, regardless of whether it's true or not, hopefully it is, but it's going to be better for you and for keeping your side of the street clean and for you feeling good about the way that you interact with them. If you go in with the presumption that they love you, they care about you. They also want to have a good relationship, even though you now have this difference between you. Yeah. I guess you can go home with a clear uh, consciousness after, because then you know that you've done everything that you could. And if they haven't reacted, then, if, if they haven't reacted well, then what can you do? Like, it's, you know, you've done all your best and that's all you can, you can really try to do because you can't change other people's behavior. So yeah, I think that's a, it's a great way of, of trying to make sure that you have done everything you could and just be in peace with yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, some other little like tips for what to do. Oh yeah. Going back to that my uh, my example of the person who said I left the church, not the family. Um, if there's something that you want or don't want, you just tell the people, hey, I noticed this thing happening and I want you to know like, yeah, I left the church, but I still want to receive invitation to those things because I love you all. Or you might be in a completely different situation and you really wish they would stop inviting you to all the things. And if that's the situation that you're in, Again, presume that they love you and they care about having a good relationship with you. And you can just tell them, hey, I'd love to be invited to the barbecue and the dinner and, you know, the get together things. But um, you can leave me off of the emails or texts that invite me to the faith based things. Great. (laughs) You just have to let them know. Um, Again, we talked about turning up the volume on love. Um, We've talked about giving choices Um, so this was something that, you know, came from a real life example where, okay, the the family is visiting and there can be this awkwardness of like, well, they're going to want to go to religious services and we don't want to go with them but how do we have a conversation about, you know, what that is in a respectful sort of way and, you know, whatever. And, and sometimes it could just be something that's like, Hey, we know this is that you would normally attend church on Sunday morning. Um, In our plans for when you're visiting us, we'll make sure that there's, you know, time in our schedule to do that. We won't put it, we won't schedule anything else at that time so that you can go do that. If you want to, you might not even need to say, we're not going with you. (laughs) we'll make space for that so that it doesn't have to become a difficult thing. Um, Or you might kindly communicate while we're here visiting for the holiday, like we're not going to be attending church with you. 
And maybe while you're gone, we will make a lovely breakfast and we'll be happy to, you know, welcome you home for brunch when you're, you know, you, you add a little bit of sweetness there to let them know that you care about them. You value the relationship. You want to spend time with them. And our boundary is that we won't be participating in this particular event. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can go a long way to do some, be willing to do some education for your family. So if you're changing the way that you celebrate holidays, if you're changing the way that you do things in your home, if you're doing some kind of different rite of passage for your wedding or how you're doing a funeral or how you're, um, you know, what you're doing for your children or something like tell people what to expect um, so that they know how to show up for you. Maybe you're not doing a traditional um, baby blessing type thing that would be done in your churches or your family's um, tradition, but you want to do something else to welcome and celebrate the birth of a child. Okay, great. Go ahead and plan that thing. Plan the birthday party, plan the coming of age ritual for your teenager, whatever it is. And then you just let your family know this is what we're doing and this is why, and this is how you can support us, or this is what to do to prepare to show up. Um, Because it might not be that they don't care about you and they don't want to support you. They just don't know what to do. They don't have any conception of what a wedding looks like that's not a religious wedding. And so you might need to spend a little bit of time to let them know this is how it's going to be. And this is what you can prepare for. So you calm their anxiety and include in there. We really want you to be there because you're important people to us. We love you. I love that because as a a control freak, I can only imagine how much I would panic if I was a religious person and going to an atheist event for the first time and thinking, you know, what should I dress like? What should I do? What should I say? What's going to happen? So, um, yeah, I love that. That's such a good way of welcoming them to your world instead of just um, they say, no, no, this is my world. You can come in and welcome into you. So, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and lastly, listen. So many of us, when we leave religion, what we want is we need somebody to hear our story. We've gone through so much pain in all of these changes, and we just want someone to understand, to see us, to validate and accept us. And we can give that back to our family members too. Um, Listening is an act of love. Your family will be more willing to compromise with you and to respect your boundaries and the decisions that you make and the changes that you're putting into your life when they feel seen and heard by you too. And if you need some little helpers um, to help you be a good listener, summarize. So the person says something to you, okay, so what you're saying is, and you repeat back to them, or what, what you heard them say, did I get it right? Okay, so you feel you feel upset. You feel like I rejected you when I left the church. Is that what's going on? Yeah, okay. You don't have to make their rejection better. You don't have to do anything to stop that feeling in them. You just let them know that you understand. This is really, okay, so you feel really sad because you wish that at this age our child was going through whatever ritual that would make them an official member of, of the faith community. And you're feeling a lot of grief around that. That's what's going on. Yeah, that's what's it. Sorry. Sorry you feel that way. 
Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that our changes brought that grief to you. I love you so much. I wish that I could save you from the grief. You don't have to attack their beliefs. You don't have to do anything around it. You just have to let them know that you get it. You, you, you see them and see how they feel. Um, if they're giving you these, you know, pressure to change, you might say something like, okay, so just to be clear, this is what you're saying and you want me to, you know, whatever, and you fill in. But yes, that is what I'm asking you to do. That doesn't mean that you, my secular, formerly religious friends, have to do the thing that they want you to do. <laughs> but it might do quite a bit for your relationship that you can communicate to your family. I understand what it is that you're asking. Then you might say, I, I can't do that or I won't do that for these reasons. And I still love you. I still care about you. I still want to have a great relationship. Um, sometimes one of the best things that you can do is just say, if they're saying something that's real hard, you go, okay, is there anything else that you'd like to say? I'm hearing you. I'm listening. Is there anything else that you need to tell me? Right. Great. Love that. Um, we're coming up to the, the end of the discussion part before we go to the Q&A. So is there um, any last last words? I always say last words. It's such, such an awful uh, <laughs> connotation to it. But do you have any last words to, um, to close the session? The last thing that I would want to say is we've been doing all this conversation about your family, your extended family, your in-laws, how you can preserve relationships with them or maintain relationships with them or whatever. And I think that it's worth saying that it's okay to have a chosen family too. That you might build family type relationships with people who are not your blood relatives and that that can be just as fulfilling for your life and getting all of those needs met. And, um, and that can be a really beautiful, lovely thing as well. That's such a beautiful way of closing it. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> cool. I'm ready for questions now. What do we have? Yeah, we have a lot of them. So just a heads up. Uh, thank you for all of you who have submitted questions. I don't think we'll have time to answer all of them, but uh, we'll do our best. Uh, someone is asking, how do you compromise? There is either a hell or there is not. <laughs> uh, it's Rodinger's hell. So I guess... And the question, and, and you know, whoever has asked this can, can correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess the question is more like, how can you compromise generally in, you know, when you know that mm -hmm. something objectively is false, like there is no hell, that is a fact. How can you compromise on, on something that's not an opinion? It's more like uh, just a fact of life. Mm -hmm. um, that's interesting because I don't think of compromise as being... Um, that we're going to meet in the middle on ideas or concepts, but the compromise might be more in how are we going to treat each other? What are we going to do? Like, like the compromise is in the action in our lives. You know, you can think that there's a hell and I can think that there's not a hell. And what does that mean about showing up for family dinner? You know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe where that, I think where the things actually play out might be something like um, prayer, or it might show up in how we uh, 
you know, the, the religious rituals that we attend or whether there is alcohol on our dinner table or something like that. And like, those are areas where you can have some compromise, but I don't, there really isn't a compromise on the other things. And I don't think that there has to be because you can allow them to think what they think and you can think what you think. And then we have to meet in the middle on where we're going to go for dinner or how we're going to celebrate a holiday. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, mm -hmm. Medellin, do you want to take the next one, please? Yes, thank you, Rebecca. The next question is, this person says, I'm certain that before we get to understanding and communication, we must go through a blow-up. In your experience, how often does reconciliation successfully follow an argument? Hmm. I am not certain that there has to be a blow-up and an argument. I think there probably has to be a conversation and there does have to be some understanding and communication, which might be something of like understanding each person's sides. Um, you know, what's your position on this, um, you know, and, and what's mine. And I think that that can happen without there being an argument. Um, maybe I'm misunderstanding the question, but when somebody says, when I hear a blow up, I'm thinking about a shouting match, like a big argument, feelings are hurt, whatever. I think that it's possible for us to have conversations about these difficult topics without there being uh, disrespect, criticism, shouting at each other, hurt feelings. I think that that all is possible. Um, and I think that when that is done well, there isn't really reconciliation to have to happen because it is the process of talking through the difficult things, showing respect, doing that listening stuff that I talked about where you're communicating that you understand them and you're getting that understanding back. Like it is the conversation and the getting that stuff out that brings you together. So there isn't really reconciliation to have to happen, but that's me that's being uh, that's best case scenario. Right? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. And a follow up to that question, which kind of works beautifully is um, how can we deal with our emotions in that moment? So a lot of times you have a very strong emotional response or affective response to your family or uh, family member or friend saying something. How can we control that better? Because it can be quite difficult to to keep calm and um, like deliver a message of love when you're feeling very, very emotional. Um, yeah. I don't think that you have to be calm. <laughs> um, I think the best thing to do is to acknowledge what's happening and maybe even practice in advance, like have a few phrases in your pocket for like, this is what I know I would say. Um, even if you can't even name the emotion in, in the moment, you can be like, wow, I'm having a big reaction to that. I'm having some big feelings about this. And maybe what that is, maybe you even say like, I'm super angry and I might regret what I'm going to say right now. <laughs> or you might say, I'm having big feelings about this and I don't want to hurt you. I know that I'm not thinking clearly right now. And so we have to table this because I care about you too much to like charge ahead and know that I might regret what's about to come out of my mouth. Or it's okay even to say, I'm having huge feelings about this right now and I don't know how to put all of that into words. And so I need a minute. I need to come back to this later. And you see what people say. Um, you might have 
families who will go, oh, okay. And they get softer and they want to take some time to like, wow, okay, tell us what's going on. And they can be part of helping you think through and talk through your feelings. And that would be wonderful. And if your family isn't like that, then the best thing might be to acknowledge that you're feeling something intensely and to table it and take the time to get clear with yourself and come back to that conversation later. Yeah, that worked great. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. And could, would you say it almost ties into this following question? How do you express straightforward criticism that can't be expressed without sounding harsh? Like if you think they're believing something harmful, do you say that? How do you say that without hurting the person? Um, yeah. Okay. I think that it is possible to express straightforward criticism without being harsh. And I think a lot of that has to do with tone of voice. A lot of that has to do with um, acknowledging impact. Um, and I think it has to do too with, with that um, turning the volume up on the love, making sure that it's couched in a way that you say, hey, this is a really uncomfortable conversation I know that what I'm going to say might hurt your feelings or that you might not like to hear what I have to say. And I think that there's, there's something that's harming you and I need to tell you about it because I care, care about you so much. I know you might not agree, but I, because I love you so much, I couldn't live with myself if I just let this harm go on and I didn't at least say something. So I want to tell you this because I care about you and I love you. And then you get to decide what you're going to do with it. This is how I hope you would act. You're, you, know, you know, you make your own choices, but I feel like I've done my job in caring for you and being a good friend, a good sister, a good, you know, whoever, by letting you know that, that this is what I see. That's how I would do it. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we have someone else asking a more of a particular question, but or like a specific question to themselves, mm -hmm. but I feel like it can apply to quite a lot of people. So, what if your parents or other family members have health problems and you're afraid that knowing more about your beliefs will cause them health problems um, or their health problems to be worsened by it? Oh, that's hard. Um, like, is the question, if I tell them what's going on with me, that that would cause them so much stress that that might worsen their condition? Am I understanding yeah. the question correctly? Okay. If I'm understanding it correctly, then yeah. Okay. <laughs> if we both, if we both got you right. Um, okay. I don't know. I think that, you know, if this is your situation, then you maybe take some time If I were your therapist, <laughs> I would sit down with you and we would do a sort of pro and con list. Okay. If you decide to tell them, what are the benefits of that? You might feel some relief. You might feel, you know, whatever the, the things are, what are the uh, drawbacks of doing that? And then if you don't say anything, what are the benefits of that? Maybe parents' health is preserved. And what are the drawbacks of saying nothing? well, you might continue with this disconnection. You might feel inauthentic when you're around them. You might whatever. And, um, you know, really take some time to think through what those things are. You might come back around to what are your own values? How do you want to live your life? What are the values that you live your life by? 
um, to help you in making that decision. And then the, the reality is that neither choice is great. And so you have to decide which of the negatives you, which of the negative consequences you can live with. But that's a rough position to be in. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, like, I wouldn't fault you either way. Whatever you decided there. Yeah. So I have another family oriented or family situation question. Mm-hmm. And we understand you're not our therapist here. So thank you <laughs> yeah, for taking okay. a stab at these. <laughs> so for this, the uh, caller, their mother outed them to their grandmother. There's some dynamics there. The grandmother immediately said that this is not what they were thought, uh, taught when growing up and they better not let her say that and threatened with anger and violence. And the caller's question is, really, they'd rather have their grandmother's love and not know about the lack of religion rather than have a future of her judging or trying to convert them. Um, but I know that part of the beginning statement is that it's or she's already or they've already been outed to their grandmother. Mm-hmm. So I guess how do, how would you handle that situation or how mm-hmm. should they handle that? Well, you know, that's tough because a big part of that is already outside of your control because mom took that away from you and now grandma knows. <laughs> Some of how you handle that might depend on personalities because your family member your family might be one where you could say something like hey you know hey grandma how about we just go ahead how about we just pretend like that didn't happen I just won't talk about this with you and will you not give me all the reminders to go to church and and don't worry I'm fine and grandma might be like okay cool <laughs> right I know some people in my own extended family who would just like rather not know and and maybe that's okay maybe we can be happy showing up and talking about old memories and looking at pictures and that and you know that will be fine um, if your family's not going to be cool with that or they're not going to just let it slide you might have to have one of those more direct uncomfortable conversations where you say something um, Again, I would emphasize so much grandma and how much you want her love. Hey, grandma, I understand that my mom told you this. Um, I wish that she hadn't. It was my plan not to tell you because I love you so much and your love and approval means so much to me. And I had really hoped that we could just go along because, you know, that that's what I love about being together with you and all those things. And now that it's out there, is there anything that you want to tell me? I'm here to listen. Um, or, you know, maybe you say, I understand that this has disappointed you and I want you to know that I still want you to be a part of my life and, you know, whatever other things that, that you might say. It's hard for me to say exactly that there's one right way to do this because so much of it depends on, uh, you know, the personalities of the people involved, what the, exactly the religious tradition is, um, maybe even how old grandma is, how close you are to her. Like there's so much in there that it, that's, that's uh, hard for me to say there's a right way. This is good. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you, Rebecca. That's uh, all the time we have for questions today, okay. unfortunately. I know there's still a few that we couldn't answer, but we're just running out of time, really. So, no um, problem. <laughs> thank you so, so much for coming here today and again another week. I know you're super busy and RFRX sessions do carry quite a lot of behind-the-scenes work and also obviously being here. So thank you so, so much. That was a wonderful session. I could tell by the comments that you know people were really benefiting from your talk. So thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. I love being here with you guys. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, healing, and support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering from Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.